This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland as we continue to take you through the baseball offseason. Coming up on this week's show, some great news for some of the greatest names in our game came down this week as Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, and Tony Oliva were elected by the Golden Days era committee of the Baseball Hall of Fame and Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill were chosen by the early baseball era committee in voting that took place in Orlando, Florida. All will be honored, along with any selections from the Baseball Writers Association of America ballot, which will be released in the coming weeks. That's uh, in Cooperstown, as always, at the induction ceremonies at the Baseball Hall of Fame in late July. Also elected this week as Ford Frick Award winners to the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's on the media and broadcasting side. Tim Kirkchin, not only from ESPN Now, but a longtime baseball beat writer for several publications. And former Cleveland Indians broadcaster Jack Graney, the legendary Jack Graney, who was the first former player to go behind the mic when he began broadcasting Cleveland games in the early 1930s. Later on in our show, Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor will shed some light on how modern-day technology and some good old-fashioned public relations assisted with Jack Graney's selection. And Guardians senior VP Bob DiBiasio will reminisce about some of the Golden Era inductees and their Cleveland connections. Bobby D. also will take a look back at the life and times of one of the best closers in Cleveland franchise history, Doug Jones, who recently passed away but won't soon be forgotten. But first, a few reminders. If you are still on the hunt for holiday gift ideas, the Guardians team store at Progressive Field continues on holiday hours, which means this week from 10 to 5 and next week from 10 to 6 each day. Now, Sundays, the team store is open from noon to 5, and on Christmas Eve, the store is open from 10 to 4. But uh, generally, every day leading in to Christmas, and then some more hours available between Christmas and New Year's to get you stocked up on the brand-new Guardians gear. On the ticket side, Guardians six-packs of tickets begin as low as $99 per pack, 
And, of course, season tickets are available as well. Just head to cleeguardians.com to purchase and secure further information. Glad you found us. You can hear the show each week on Guardians Radio Network affiliate stations, of course. Usually it drops 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock Saturday afternoon. You can also hear it on cleeguardians.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts at Cleveland Guardians Podcasts. Now on to our show is when we come back, we will hear from Guardians Senior VP Bob DiBiasio. That's next on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Progressive wants your pets to be their best selves, so we cover them in our auto policy. We did this self-empowerment series just for them. The smell of bacon fills the air as you chase a tennis ball across a grassy field. You notice a fire hydrant and approach to mark your territory. Your aim is impeccable. Get coverage for your pets with an auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and is subject to policy terms. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. We're joined now by Guardians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Uh, always great to catch up with Bobby D as we talk about some of the Hall of Famers who got great news earlier this week and, and several close to home in terms of past Cleveland franchise history. But, Bobby, before we get to that, we wanted to recognize, and this happened a while back, but we haven't had a chance to chat with you, really one of the the fun players in franchise history it was an excellent closer for uh, the then Indians back in the late 80s and early 90s. Doug Jones passed away in late November. Uh, he's third on the uh, the franchise list for closers in terms of saves. But uh, I know that was a, a tough one for you in, in a year that's had some, some difficult times in terms of players passing away. But uh, I know Doug Jones, uh, when, when I mention his name to you, it seems like that brings a smile right away. Absolutely. Um, obviously, it, it stings and it still stings uh, to um, know that uh, um, Doug Jones uh, will not be coming to Cleveland to visit in the summertime as an alumni ambassador or connecting with him just on the phone um, as we would do uh, throughout the summertime. Uh, just a remarkable, witty, uh, fun, uh, just wonderful man. Uh, his career, Rosie, was not normal. Uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, he pitched in the big leagues for 16 seasons, um, seven of them uh, with us from 86 to 91 and then again in 1998 uh, but um he made his debut in 1982 but then again he only pitched four games and 
didn't appear back in the big leagues until 1986 with us. So he really started his major league baseball career at the age of 29. And he pitched until I think it was 2000 at the age of early 40s. I think it was 43 um, when he ended his career. Um, So not normal trajectory of, of a baseball player. Um, starting uh, almost at 30 and ending in your 40s. Five-time All-Star, three times with us, as you said, third on our all-time saves list. Uh, Just a remarkable guy that uh, um, a whole bunch of teammates uh, we connected uh, on email, text, and phone calls uh, because he meant a lot to so many. And, And you look at the way he did it, in today's game, uh, gosh, if you don't throw 100 miles an hour at the back end of the bullpen, you don't get much consideration to close games. But he came in with one of the great change-ups of his era, and that was his out pitch. And, and it, it worked so well, and it must have been fun to watch on a regular basis. Just I, I imagine a lot of hitters went back to the dugout and said that was the most comfortable unworthy at bat that they've had all night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, the managers you played for – Pat Corrales, Doc Edwards, Johnny Mack, Grover, um, you know, uh, they would all laugh in, in one sense because he threw slow, slower, slowest. <laughs> and, and that's how he got guys out. And that was his, the way he approached it. I mean, you know, he's a big guy, big, big hands. I asked him one time if the ability to throw a changeup had something to do with his his huge hands. And he said, no, you know, he was a coach in the Milwaukee system and a, in a number of, and I think the Diamondbacks. And uh, he said, no, you don't need, uh, you know, big hands, big fingers, long fingers to, to do the circle change, to grip the ball that way, to throw an effective change up. Um, you just have to have confidence. You have to have guts. You have to understand that all you're trying to do is disrupt the uh, uh, the flow of a hitter, the rhythm of a hitter. Um, and part of that is watching a hitter and the swings that he takes and, and going at spots where uh, he's uncomfortable with slow, slower and slowest. Um, took a lot of guts to, you know, go out there and, and – face big league hitters and, and do what he did. And he did it for 16 seasons. Just remarkable. So at, you mentioned he, he broke in with the Indians in 86 at the age of 29. And 88 was that real breakthrough year with the 37 saves, made the all-star team. And memories that stand out from that season. I know there were a lot, but uh, some more than others. 1988. There's a game that he and I would always talk about, and I think I'd mention it to him that it was uh, what I thought was his greatest game as a as a member of uh, our franchise. Uh, we were at Yankee Stadium uh, late June of '88. I think the Yankees uh, and us were tied um, uh, record-wise, and we had a big four-game series going in there. And uh, 
he ends up saving a game that Tom Candy out. He got beat up in the first inning, couldn't even get out of the first inning, and we rally back. And and he goes and, and does a one, two, three, ninth inning, um, getting Jack Clark and Don Mattingly. Uh, I can't remember who the third batter was. And, um, it, what made it so special is the fact that here's a guy that went from being a spring training invitee to becoming an all-star in 1988 to owning a major league record for the most consecutive saves. That game at Yankee Stadium was his 14th save in a row which uh, um, topped uh, Steve Bedrosian's record that was set the year before and uh, so when you think about things of that nature you know what he went through as a young athlete and then just changing himself into this change up specialist saving games having the guts to do so um, and again, going from a spring training invitee to an all-star to owning a major league record. Um, and one of the things we kidded, uh, we would always have fun with. He, he finally got a top baseball card <laughs> of himself. And he would always laugh about that. So um going to miss him dearly. He's just such a wonderful, wonderful man and um, just heartbreaks for Debbie and the family and um, just, uh, you know, he was a died of COVID com- complications and um, it just, it hurts. And we're talking about Doug Jones. Uh, the third most saves in franchise history uh, was with Cleveland back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, gosh, Bobby, you, you talk about those memories and, and just looking at, at the lines throughout the years and how the game has changed, we talk about that changeup being such a key, and you don't see that very often in that role now. Uh, 1992, this was with Houston. 80 games, 111 innings. I, I don't think you'd see too many closers getting that type of of activity. Uh, but, man, it, it, you talk about willing to take the baseball in key spots. That that was him. Absolutely. He was in an all-star game in the National League. Uh, again, he was a five-time all-star three times with us. But one of the years he was in the National League, he actually gave up a base hit in an all-star game to Charlie Nagy. Um, Charlie Nagy, Tom Kelly's managing the American League all-star team. Charlie goes out and pitches, a, I think, a one, two, three inning, either the seventh or eighth inning and comes into the dugout and goes up to Charlie and says, uh, sorry to do this to you, but you got to grab a helmet and a bat. And Charlie's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he, he goes, I ran out of players. Uh, I need, there's guys that went in and showered and I need you to bat. <laughs> so Charlie goes up and Doug Jones is on the mound and Charlie dribbles one, um, between pitcher's mound and third base and, and beats it out on Doug Jones. And those two <laughs> had it a, a remarkably uh, uh, funny uh, situation there at, at first base, just laughing <laughs> as hard as they can to one another. Jones, he's 
glove over his face and Charlie's hands and his <laughs> covering his face as he got a base hit in an all star game off his close friend. And 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 then Jones came back. Nineteen ninety eight. He had been away from the franchise. His last season had been nineteen ninety one. At the age of thirty four, you figure, well, that's probably it. And he he went to several different clubs before returning in 1998 what was that like when he came back as part of you know that that stretch where uh, just great teams year after year it was so fun to have players who played at cleveland stadium um, that were part of especially the mid to late 80s um, as we were trying to build hank peters comes back after Dick Jacobs buys the team and Hank Peters runs the franchise and, and tabs John Hart and Dan O'Dowd as uh, the two guys along with Hank that were going to you know, change how we went about the, the baseball operations in our franchise. It was special that they could see uh, the change in our franchise. And he just, he loved every minute of it. He would laugh you know, at what our clubhouse and strength and conditioning and training area was compared to, you know, his previous time as a as a member of our franchise at Cleveland Stadium. So, um, yeah, it 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 was really fun when anyone uh, could come back and and enjoy. Uh, what Progressive Field was all about and, and how our fans responded, especially uh, the newness of it all in the 90s. Well, Bobby D, there, obviously there's there's sadness in, in any time someone passes, it's close to the franchise. But hopefully uh, this has been fun for folks to, to relive some memories of Doug Jones and his time with the franchise because it was special and uh, he'll always be in the record books in, in, to some yep. extent, and and uh, that's pretty neat. And, and thanks a lot for sharing that. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk Hall of Fame because there were some great announcements with uh, players very close to the Cleveland franchise um, that were a part of the announcements earlier this week. So we'll step aside, come back with more as Guardians Weekly continues on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Now, folks, you've waited for this. Don't let it slip by without being a part of it. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio joining us. Some great memories uh, that we just listened to um, regarding Doug Jones, who passed away in late November, the longtime franchise closer back in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, now we switch gears, talk Hall of Fame. And uh, this past week, uh, some announcements made as to who will be going in in the Golden Days era and also the early baseball era, as well as the Ford Frick Awards. And uh, several of those who uh, were elected have some Cleveland connections in that golden era, the golden days era, Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, and Tony Oliva were elected in. In the early baseball era, 
Bud Fowler and Negro Leagues legend Buck O'Neill. And then on the Fort Frick side, Tim Kirkchin, who you see a lot on ESPN now, but a great sports writer for many, many years too. And Jack Graney made it, the former uh, Cleveland Indians announcer when baseball on the radio was just beginning. So some great stuff there, and we'll hear from Jeremy Fedor a little bit later on in the show about Jack Graney going in. But uh, Bobby D, a, a fun week, and let's start with the Golden Days era. And uh, some of those names, uh, pretty close affiliations with Cleveland, specifically Minnie Minoso, but also uh, I know you got to be friendly with Jim Codd and, and the other two, Gil Hodges and Tony Oliva, greats of their time for sure. Yes, uh, Rosie, I wish I would have gotten to know Gil Hodges and Tony Olivo. Uh, I, I certainly enjoy the history of the game of baseball and, and know who Gil Hodges and, and his stellar career grew up watching Tony Olivo um, do his thing. Uh, would talk to Richie Rollins, uh, the star from Parma high school uh, Sandlot star in Cleveland who played on the same teams with uh, uh, Tony Olivo and uh, uh, the Minnesota Twins. Jim Cott, I got to know in 1987, it was my lone season away from the Cleveland uh, Guardians franchise. In uh, 1987, I was the PR chief of the Atlanta Braves. Jim Cott was one of the broadcasters on the, the Superstation on TBS. So got to know him very, very well. And, you know, here's a guy, think about it, 16 straight gold gloves as a pitcher. Um, it's remarkable just thinking about that. One of the nicest, he, the way he went after his craft, he would have fit uh, into today's world. Uh, very analytical. Uh, very studious, uh, his approach to pitching. Just so happy for, for Mr. Cott. And Minnie Minoso. I got to know Minnie Minoso, Rosie, uh, just from like equitable old-timer games that used to happen back in the day. Uh, we used to have them in the 80s, uh, obviously, at Cleveland Stadium. And uh, he'd come back and, and play for the Indians and it putting him in the lineup and just a guy that always had a smile on his face. I was five years old, something like that. I had two older brothers, you know. Baseball was obviously very large in our family, as was football and basketball. Our father was a, uh, a coach at Lakewood High School in all three sports, so, you know, with three boys in the families. And to hear my brothers you know, the, the outfield of the 59 Cleveland Indians was Jimmy Pearsall or Tito Francona in center and Rocky Calavito in right and Minnie Minoso in left. I mean, that's our childhood. That, you know, it, it, the name Minnie Minoso. You know, he integrated the Chicago White Sox uh, back in 49, I believe it was. Um, and it was a star uh, for the Chicago White Sox. I think there's a, a whole lot of people who are so very happy um, that uh, Minnie is uh, being honored in this manner. His 59 year uh, with the tribe, he was an all-star. and uh, He only spent, I think, three years with us, but uh, he made an impact for sure. On the Fort Frick side of things, uh before we get to the last guy, because he has the huge association with the franchise, but Tim Kirchin's going in, and and we see him nowadays 
as uh, someone who's on ESPN, but a long time newspaper guy, uh, beat reporter for a couple of different clubs, um, with a, a Cleveland connection too. Kimmy Kirchin and I go back to day one of our both of our careers, 1979. And so we've known each other for more than 40 plus years. I don't know if there is anyone more passionate about the game of baseball than Tim Kirchin. There may be people who might equal uh, his passion for this game, his love for the game of baseball and the history of the game and the nuances of our game. But nobody has more passion. And um, Timmy started in Texas and then was the beat writer in, in Baltimore and then went on to, to do things, obviously, in television at the ESPN. Um, the Baseball Writers uh, Career Excellence Award could not have gone uh, to a more deserving man um, than Tim Kirchin. It... Uh, it, it, there was another one. You just, I, I sent him a text that just said, I'm smiling from ear to ear. Uh, there'll be a day sometime later, I'll tell you a story about Timmy and I. You know, when the visiting writers would come to town on occasion, I'd take a few of them to lunch on the first day that they came into town, especially when we moved into our brand new building so that they would have an understanding of, of, uh, you know, what it's all about. Uh, uh, going into our beautiful new baseball-only ballpark in downtown Cleveland. And uh, there was a time when we decided that we weren't going to eat lunch. We were going to go take batting practice. We are going to throw BP to one another. And uh, we used a certain player's bat. Now, this is back in Cleveland Stadium days. And we went underneath the old bleachers at Cleveland Stadium and threw BP to each other. And... Uh, the certain players bat that we used, uh, I broke two of them and both of them were corked. <laughs> <laughs> whoops. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> and we just, every time we see each other, we, we mention that certain players name <laughs> and we just laugh and laugh. Um, but, the, and the, that certain players first at bat that night in that game, doubled off the right field wall. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> we just looked at each other and smiled at the press box. So that was hilarious. Um, but Timmy, again, just the, the nicest, as you know, one of the nicest, uh, um, unassuming, uh, wonderful guys. So, um, just so very happy for him. Great stuff. And, uh, boy, a nice week gone by with the announcement of, those going into the Hall of Fame and then the golden era, the early era, and the Ford Frick side of things for broadcasting and also uh, reporting, things like that. So good stuff. Bobby D., always great to hear from you. And uh, I don't think I'll talk to you on the show between now and Christmas time and New Year's, but uh, have, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year to you as uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in 2022. Always a treat, Rosie. Take care, sir. Happy holidays. That's Guardians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Stay tuned. More to come as Guardians Weekly continues on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Progressive wants your pets to be their best selves, so we cover them in our auto policy, and we created this self-empowerment series just for them. 
You are lying paws up on the sofa. A human caresses the itchy spot behind your left ear as another human feeds you a slice of cheese. Your ancestors are wolves. Cat coverage for your pets with an auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and is subject to policy terms. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. We are joined now by Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor, who has a, a great story to tell as this week. Outstanding news for the late Jack Graney, who was inducted into the, or not inducted, but elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame, a Ford Frick Award winner for his broadcasting work, a pioneer for the Cleveland Indians back in the early 30s on through the 40s and then early 50s as well. And uh, Jeremy, I know you, you worked hard to get the word out on, on what Jack Graney accomplished, especially at, at his point in time. And for you when, you, when you heard the news that he had gotten in, how satisfying was that to hear? It, you know, it's one of those things that you don't, until you see the actual uh, graphic on Twitter or the announcement made, it's just like in your head, you keep playing over like, well, he's up against some really good competition. And, you know, uh, that to be a, you know, I'm a native Clevelander. So sometimes you always wait for a, another shoe to fall. And, you know, to me, it, it was a slam dunk case. But then again, I'm uh, I'm pretty biased, but he, he just represents such a, uh, a wonderful part of Cleveland's storied uh, broadcasting history. Uh, I think we just have a very, we're lucky to have a very rich history in the, in the broadcasting field. And, you know, with Graney, on the, on, the, on the surface level, I mean, if you don't dig deep, you know, you, you get the first player turned broadcaster, first batter against Babe Ruth. It's a lot of these cool you know, anecdotes. But when you start diving into his, uh, you know, his career, and we, we touched upon it, like you said, in the previous uh, uh, interview, there's just so much more to his history that uh, makes him, you know, a compelling case. And I don't have the uh, criteria of the, the Frick Award in front of me, but one of the, the things I was able to do is, you know, anyone with a, a Cuyahoga County Library card can access the Plain Dealers digital archive. So I highly recommend that. And I was able to comb through the years from, you know, a start in the 30s to the, the 50s and just all these stories about him, whether it was, you know, recreating broadcast, which, again, I can't imagine the difficulty of a seasoned broadcaster doing something like that. But uh, Grady, who, you know, didn't have the, the background, the, the schooling, I guess, in broadcasting, and yet he was still able to do this stuff successfully and, you know, really endear himself to a, a Cleveland crowd. And you know, the problem with some of these older um, kind of like some of our Hall of Famers. Is there's just very few people around anymore that can, you know, remember what it was like to listen to Jack. And we only have a handful of recordings. So really trying to flesh out this this career of of an individual who passed away in the late 70s and who stopped broadcasting, you know, in 1953. So uh, trying to um, point out that, hey, this was a Canadian guy, you know, fan favorite ball player who came to who played in Cleveland had all these other, um, you know, tremendous attributes on the field, whether it was a member of the 20 world series team or, or, you know, wearing a uniform number for the first time. But then as the broadcaster who really, when you read what he did was, is no different from say you and Hammy in your pregame prep. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun to see how quickly he was able to, pick up on on what he needed to do to be a successful ball player and really 
paved the way for how many uh, former Cleveland ball players are now broadcasters. I mean, there's there's quite a few. You know, obviously we we just recently lost the the great Ray Fossey, um, but there's just so many players that you know followed in his footsteps, especially from the the Cleveland uh, uh, start. So it's really really rewarding to see, and I still have been a uh, you know going through Twitter and, and, and looking at stuff and just, uh, uh, you know, raising my, my, my fist in, in joy for, uh, for Jack. Hey, you mentioned all that you, you were doing and then going to the library, maybe a small part of that, maybe a big part of it and, and going through old articles and things like that. How far back did, did you go in terms of when you thought, you know what, he's going to need a little push here and, and I need to get, some good information into the hands of the right people who are going to be on this committee. Um, how far out did you start with that process? Yeah. So well, the first time Jack actually going behind the mic, well, it was a, a news story in the play dealer. So in the, the 32 uh, season, it, it was, it made news. It was him and Billy Evans. And, you know, it was kind of this unique situation because again, there hadn't really been this uh, a push to have former ball players become broadcasters so when when jack picked it up and again this is in the the world where you know broadcasting is a, a new uh a medium for for baseball for fans and uh you know they're in a sense kind of scrambling to figure out what's going to work so i started right at that that beginning because you know jack's playing career is, is fascinating in and of itself but that really has no bearing to the point uh, you know certain to a certain extent for um, this award. So I didn't want to get bogged down too much in that stuff. So, you know, really just going through and, uh, you know, it's 20 some odd years of, of history. And, you know, even later on to, you know, see how he was even remembered after his broadcasting career by, um, you know, certain individuals who, who recalled, uh, you know, his, his success as a broadcaster and how he maybe have influenced them. And, um, it's it was uh you know it, it was a long slog because you know his name pops up so many times and he was doing so many different um uh broadcasting things outside of baseball and uh you know so just uh seeing all that was i think really created this compelling story of this this guy that again had no background in it but ran with it and became a a fan favorite and Again, going back to that point, you know, he was a fan favorite, but a lot of those fans are, are no longer with us. So really trying to drive that point home that, hey, this was a, a significant individual in the history of broadcasting in Cleveland. And, you know, sometimes I think when you compare Cleveland to New York and Chicago, we're like that little brother that sometimes gets uh, ignored. So to uh, to see, again, Jack get selected and, and again, getting that information to the, the voters, it helps because, you know, me in particular, I love the details and, you know, getting into all that stuff. But to expect, you know, all these guys to be looking at an article from June of 1946 or something is, you know, it's a lot to ask. I mean, you kind of do with what you got in front of you. And I thought, well, you know, if we can make the case and, and, and compile and, and really bullet point and uh, show what a strong case Jack had, you know, I, I thought, hey, let's take our shot because – who knows if Jack will be up again for it. I think it was his third time uh, nominated for the award. He had fallen short the, the previous two times. So um, I didn't know much you know, longer he, he had left on the ballot. And uh, I figured, hey, we're going to do it. Let's do it right. Let's get it all out there and see what happens. Well, it happened successfully. And obviously with him passing away, he's not able to 
to enjoy that. But his family, I know uh, you had a chance to visit with his granddaughter. And uh, can you share some of that exchange and, and their feelings? You know, what's actually kind of a, a really unfortunate is uh, Granny's daughter, she lived to be in her 90s, just recently passed away the other year. So, you know, I know she had been lobbying for him to, to win the award. And uh, one of those sad cases where she wasn't able to be around for the announcement. But I, I know the family, I was, you know, at social media today, I was able to connect with uh, Jack's only granddaughter. Jack had a, a, a son as well, but he, he ended up dying in a World War II uh, plane accident. So he had one daughter and, and one granddaughter, and um, so I've been able to connect with her. I know they're over the moon about it, and you know who wouldn't be if your your ancestor uh, got got a uh, an award from the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, you know the, the excitement I feel I'm sure is tenfold for for them and being a, a relative. So um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's really exciting. You know we're we're hoping to uh, maybe do some during season to recognize Jack and his accomplishments and. Uh, um, you know, still just being a, a day off the news, you know, the, the, the dust hasn't settled yet, but uh, um, maybe, there's there's going to be ways, hopefully, to, to get out more of the history. And, uh, you know, for people that love it or people that are sort of interested in it, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get it out there and, and hopefully everyone else learns to uh, appreciate the history that is Jack Graney's broadcasting career. Well, Jeremy, great work. I know it uh, It took a while and, and uh, was very much detail-oriented, but it pays off in the end as uh, one of the broadcasting pioneers, Jack Graney, elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame earlier this week. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate it. Oh, always happy to talk. That is Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor. Great work by Jeremy to assist with the election of Jack Graney, who really didn't need help, but sometimes those on the decision-making side need to be made aware of the accomplishments of those up for consideration for the Hall of Fame, and Jeremy did a great job in that regard. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks to Brian Matze, as always, for all of his help. This is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.